For those of you who don't know me, welcome, by the way. Oh, Pat, I'm waving. We, we talked the other day, and she said, well, I'll wave to you. I said, well, I'll wave back. I hope she's up there. Well, anyway, uh, my name is Brian Sempers. I'm an elder at Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church, the church in which you are sitting. I have been an elder here. I think we were working on that uh, 15 or 16 years, which is kind of a surprise because I didn't realize it had been that long. Uh, yeah, we we joined this church uh, when we were still, when this church was still at Walsingham Academy in boxes. And we would open the boxes and we would stick everything together and we would do church. And then we'd break the church down and shove it under the, was it the stage? I guess it was. Some of you are nodding your heads. You remember. Uh, I am a teacher at Providence Classical School, which is just down the road, just a tiny ways. And I teach middle and high school, whatever they tell me to. One year I even... Well, one semester I even taught sculpture, which it looked like human beings. You know, we sculpted feet and had them sculpt their own feet. That was interesting because they were. But uh, I was asked, uh, I, actually, this, uh, this has come about kind of circuitously, so you might want to know this. Uh, I was talking to Dennis one day about uh, how I'd like to share what had happened to me last year. And he said, well, why don't you just bring a message? And so that's where we are now today. This message uh, was also uh, delivered to the Eastminster folks down on the South side a month ago. And uh, because of that, you're getting an updated version. So let's pray and then we'll dive into this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We are grateful for the sun. We are grateful for the rain. We are grateful for the break in temperature that we got last week. Uh, thankful that this is the time of year for the Hanover tomatoes and just all the produce that comes in from the bountiful land that you have blessed us with. Uh, Lord, we thank you for a chance to worship you. We thank you for a chance to be gathered together corporately when so many of our brothers and sisters around the world are scared to do so or to do so would risk uh, actual death. Lord, we pray that as we're together today that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear and that upon hearing we would understand. And we know that it's only possible through your grace and through your love and through the work of the Holy Spirit. So we pray all this to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're looking at Psalm 30. If you have your Bibles or your phones, you can flip and or turn or both. If you have a book, you can flip and turn. Version 2. Oh, that's, that's for me. That's not for you. This is version 2. Psalm 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cry to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restore me to life from among those who go down to the pit. 
Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. If we go back and look at the structure of this psalm, it is a bit of a Thanksgiving sandwich. It starts with praise and thanksgiving in verses 1 through 5, has a bit of introspection and lament in verses 6 through 10, and then ends with thanksgiving again in verses 11 and 12. The focus is that God allowed David to be flattened and practically die. And David's healing and his response to it should be a cause for all to rejoice because God healed him because David cried out to God and God loved him. We can all, I am sure, intellectually assent to Thanksgiving in this context, but I would submit we might have a problem as modern people living in a superficial Institute Graham talk face world when it comes to things like group rejoicing. We are very individualistic. We request prayer when we need it, some of us anyway. And when one of us is healed, we rejoice with them. But this significant group rejoicing, what David is talking about here in the beginning of Psalm 30, is much bitter, bigger than I think we realize. Look at that word extol, okay? In this first section of verse 1, David is using the word extol. David is calling for the congregation to extol the Lord with him. This extol sort of praise is not a yay or even a woohoo. It is much more than that. This is a winning the life lottery by escaping death kind of praise. This is a yes! The kind of praise where you miss getting hit by a car by a fraction of an inch, or you dodged a bullet, or had a rich Nigerian prince give you $5 million tax-free. It has a hint of mania about it. A worthwhile thought exercise now would be to take a moment and ask yourself the last time you praised God by extolling him in this manner. King David says in Psalm 41.11, by this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. In this complimentary passage, Psalm 41, shouting is mentioned. You know shouting is loud and is not something David's enemies get to do. But David does get to do it in both Psalm 30 and in Psalm 41, and I'm sure in others as well. I didn't look deep on that because God delights in David. And David is emphasizing at this point in Psalm 30 that God loves him and delights in him. David has been healed because he is loved by God. David was a king, but he was also, as king, part of the congregation. 
God's healing then should be a cause of rejoicing for the entire congregation. Or David's healing then should be a cause of rejoicing for the entire congregation. This particular Psalm, Psalm 30, means a lot to me, and a little background might help you understand why we're going through this exercise today. How I came to be so ill in early 2022, the doctors have never been able to determine. They don't know for sure what set my heart so out of whack, only that it was bad. By the time my oldest daughter dropped me off at the emergency room on February 3rd, 2022, I had been in declining health for, they estimated, about a month and could only catch my breath by sticking my head out of a car window like a dog at 40 miles an hour. The ER staff moved quickly, and even though they meant well and they saved my life, they did some damage in the process. I was admitted to the hospital, and that night remains a miserable blur for which I am thankful. The next morning, two very serious and earnest cardiologists told me that I had two clots in my heart and that Sentara wasn't equipped to deal with me. I told them I understood, and I thanked them. They seemed kind of upset that I was so polite, but understand, until this illness, I'd never been in a hospital except as a visitor. I honestly didn't know how to behave. My, my frame of reference was about to be dramatically expanded. That same afternoon, I was transported to VCU's Pauley Heart Center's ICU in Richmond. Within an hour or so, a slick young doctor got me to sign some papers and blithely told me what they were about to do was uncomfortable, but not painful. And he'd been in that spot? He lied. They took me to a catheterization lab and put me on a slab and shoved and inserted and threaded wires and attached a pump. All I could think of when I wasn't groaning in pain because my heart was too weak to take any anesthesia besides some local numbing, and I still couldn't breathe well at all, was how much it all looked and sounded like when I was a kid and watched The Six Million Dollar Man. As the techs laughed and joked and listened to hipster patchouli music while I tried to be a good patient. I was raised to believe that I was supposed to endure, to ride the pain and not complain or cry out too much. I had gone from living and working in a regular life to sort of dying, and the doctors and nurses, particularly the nurses, thank God for them, they were just trying to keep me alive. So if we skip down to what David says in verses 6 and 7 of Psalm 30, you see where he says, As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. I get it. I get what David's saying there. That was me when I was on that slab. I can't say as I ever consciously thought I would never be moved, but God had been pleased to watch over me to make my mountain stand so well for so long that to be naked, scared, and finding it hard to breathe and harder to think and impossible to understand, to say it was dismaying was an understatement. But now you go back up to verse 1. Okay, this is not a normal sermon, by the way. Go back up to verse 1 where David says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and not let my foes rejoice over me. This drawn me up here in this verse, according to the commentators, it's a Hebrew verb 
that has the meaning of drawing a bucket up out of a well. And I think that's important because it accentuates the severity of David's distress and proportionately the exaltation of his praises. See the balance, like the farther down you go, the bigger your praises, right? How far down, how distressed David was is seen in the next two verses. He was very, very sick. He was so sick, in fact, that he felt like his soul was already in Sheol, or the grave, portrayed and depicted by the Hebrews of this time as being beneath the earth. Sheol, or the pit, was entered into through gates. It was dark. It was gloomy. It was not a place of rejoicing or anything like what we think of as heaven, even though Psalm 139.8 tells us that even in Sheol, you can't hide from God. What we take away from these first few verses is that David is enthusiastically rejoicing, extolling, and praising God because David was so very sick that he was practically dead. Now, for me, the first day after the $6 million man lab thing, they pumped seven liters of fluid out of me in 12 hours. I slept a lot. And when I was awake, I either cried or I was resigned felt if I was going to die, I was going to be with Jesus. If I was going to stay, I would have to get better. The one thing I did know was that either way, it was out of my hands. And we all say things like God's in charge or God's in control, and we mean it. But I think a lot of times we say it in a sort of abstract way. It's sort of like, uh, uh, see you tomorrow kind of thing, you know. And this psalm, this is not abstract. I don't doubt for one second that David knew in every cell of his body, in the core of his being, that he wasn't in control. And that kind of flattening, which some of you have experienced yourselves, the absolute certainty that you've hit the wall, reached the end of yourself, and are absolutely and utterly helpless, is terrifying. It is also, perhaps not in the moment, but at least for me, afterward, incredibly free. You become like that child that Jesus says we should all be like. All you can do is hold out your hands and plead, you know, like a little kid when they don't have the words and they want it, like that. Losing those first seven leaders were the beginning of the drawing up God did for me. Look at verse one again. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. God did draw me up out of the pit, but unlike David, I had no foes. In fact, I had something different. I had y'all. This congregation, this family overwhelmed us with love and support. Many of you prayed, many of you texted, many of you contacted Amy, many of you rallied. In that way, my own experience was very different from David's. Can you imagine? being at your lowest on your way out of this life and people rejoicing at the news of it? How horrible is that? I mean, I didn't know I was getting better, although I was. The doctors would come in twice a day and ask me how I was, and they'd check my feet and the lines and the rates and talk technical and tell me they'd see me tomorrow. And I did slowly start to improve. I still had the time bomb of the clot. It had been two, but... They lost track of one and assumed it was dissolved. It's encouraging when a doctor loses track of a clot. My, 
My son flew in from Utah to help his mom, which encouraged my wife Amy like water to a dry plant. The doctors disconnected the pump and removed one of the Frankenstein wires from inside my thigh without so much as a Tylenol. At least that doctor didn't lie. He told me it would hurt and there was nothing for it, which I appreciated. And then they moved me onto the floor then out of the ICU and everything was fine for a day. For a day. Then the damage the ER had done caught up with me and I started hemorrhaging. The night nurse's solution was to hand me pads of gauze and just tell me to put pressure on the site. That only works until your blood pressure drops dangerously low near midnight, which is when you get lightheaded and there's beeping and suddenly there's 11 people in your room and a heavy monitor in your bed and they're all very, very, very concerned. Then the nice and very hard to understand Dr. Wu tells you calmly that she has to give you some medicine to possibly save your life, but there's a risk it might dislodge the clot that they actually know where it is. You ask her to call your wife, but it's late and she's asleep in Williamsburg and you somehow know that you can trust this lady, so you just say, go ahead. And in that moment, your heart says something like what David says in verses 8 and following. Look at verse 8. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. And that doctor stays with you in the room for hours. You doze off and wake up and she's there. She gets you out of the woods and eases you off whatever that drug was and the clot stays put and you don't die. And by the time your wife arrives, the crisis is mostly over. I had made it weeping through the night. Look, there it is in Psalm 30, verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Thanks to the Holy Spirit and possibly also the drugs and the brain damage, the severity of my heart failure, I don't remember ever feeling as if God had completely deserted me. But I did feel abandoned. I know that sounds weird, but I did feel lost. I did feel confused. It's kind of like a kid who is out shopping with his family and turns around in the store and suddenly his family has vanished. You know, They were just there. You know, They didn't just up and leave you on purpose, but all the same, they aren't where you thought they should be. When you are looking out at the world from that perspective, things seem out of whack. It all begins to look like terra incognita. God was there, but it didn't seem to track. If you've ever felt like that, then you sort of got an idea of what David's feeling here. I mean, I didn't think I was going to die, but I wasn't sure. I couldn't imagine God was done with me, but what if he was? I prayed about being allowed to see my grandchildren. I prayed about my students and lamented not being there for them. I miss the, my house, being able to hear birds and smell rain and feel real air. I regretted not being there more for my kids, my fits of temper, my insensitivity to my wife. And I wondered if I was being punished by God. And if I was being punished, what was I being punished for? 
But God didn't abandon me because even in that lousy situation, even in all of that trauma, I could find ways to thank God. The kindness of this nurse here, a nice sip of ginger ale with a bendy straw there, a smooth changing of sheets, hemorrhaging that only lasted minutes instead of hours. When you're flattened, you start to look for things to be thankful for, and that Thanksgiving reminds you of the future joy. The shadow of Sheol still looms, though. If you look at this psalm, David felt it. you got to look at those verses again. To you, O Lord, I cry, verse 8, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. David in these verses clearly felt alone. Only being a man after God's own heart, he hits the nail on the head with one shot. How is he going to praise God, man's chief end, by the way, if he's in Sheol in that gloomy pit where there's no rejoicing or indeed nothing to rejoice about? Do you notice how David manages to remember God's faithfulness even as he laments his current condition, that severe illness he's going through? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? That there is also a clever little reminder of our origins and of the final destination of our current bodies, the dust. Praise you. Psalm 30 is like all of the Psalms worthy of meditating upon. And as I slowly recovered and went through the steps of learning to walk again, learning to breathe properly again, being patient with the loss of years of strength, praying to be able to brush my teeth without having to take a nap afterwards, the shattering I experienced was, and I can, I can say it now, a good thing. I was individualistic. He had told me that I was taking pride in my physical strength, my endurance, my mental acuity. I would have vigorously denied it. But at the end of yourself, when you have no strength, no fortitude, when you are forced to be honest because there's no use pretending, that's when you are most like David in Psalm 30. And when you are that broken, the way you see Jesus changes. After that, there's no room for self. There's just thanksgiving, just praise, just extolling. Psalm 30, verses 11 and 12. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O oh Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. My friends, my brothers, my sisters, don't let your heart just go, yay. Notice the transition in these verses 11 and 12. David goes from mourning and grief with one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel to being clothed in gladness. God restores David fully. God heals David. He restores him to his previous secure status, and David sees praise and thanksgiving as his joyful duty. So where does that leave us here in August 2023? Psalm 30 is a lesson and a mirror and a lens. Psalm 30 is a lesson for us that we live in a broken world and we can and will get sick, and even then, if we are in the congregation of believers, if we follow Jesus, we can lament and cry out and be honest about how we feel about our plight. And our merciful God doesn't condemn us for it. 
David cried out loud as he was slipping away, and it pleased God to hear, hear David and to heal David. The lesson is that God is our Father, and he delights in us, even when it may feel as if he doesn't. Just remember it isn't about our mountain standing firm. It's about his glory. That's the lesson. Psalm 30 is a mirror. Psalm 30 is a mirror for us to look in because sooner or later, one way or another, we will fall into dismay just like King David. David was a mighty warrior, a shepherd, a king, a man after God's own heart. And if we think that made him somehow different from us in his basic humanity, we aren't reading this psalm correctly. I'm not sure how to explicate this, but it would appear that suffering and thanksgiving are two sides of the same coin. And we need to see both and look for both and recognize as believers we are obligated to experience both. In David, we see ourselves. Psalm 30 is a lens for us because it expands our understanding of Jesus. If you look at the parallels, they are all through this beautiful psalm. Jesus was physically flattened, bruised, and crushed. Jesus was abandoned by his friends and rejoiced over by his enemies. Jesus didn't deserve any of it because, as the Bible says, he was like us in every way except the most important. He was without sin. Jesus actually died and was put in a grave, sealed with a rock too big for one man to move. You see it, don't you? Jesus wept for a night at Gethsemane and became our greatest joy on Easter morning. King David suffered, and after his healing, he gave thanks. David's descendant, Jesus, suffered even more as his father hid his face, left Jesus literally forsaken. But because of that suffering, we now, if you believe in Christ, any suffering you may experience will help you to see, perhaps not in the moment, but like David and like me, that God doesn't abandon you because God sent Jesus to endure the shame and the suffering of the cross and rose again from a grave so that we can give him the praise and the glory we owe him because we, as believers, have eternal life. Flip that coin. Focus that lens. See the suffering. Lament. Feel the pain. Cry out and then look and expect the opportunity for thanksgiving because it will be there. Remember verse 5. For God's anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Let us pray and extol the Lord together. Lord Jesus, we do thank you. We praise your holy name because you are worthy of praise. We give you thanks for all the things that you have done for us that we were we to stand or sit here and try to enumerate them, we wouldn't be able to do it. The stars move in their courses, the seasons move with uh, predictable regularity, the dirt exchanges nitrogen and oxygen and there's all that, the flowers, birds migrate, our children grow in wisdom and in stature. And you run all of that. And you do it because you're a God of order, 
but also because you are a God of love. In fact, the only reason we can even know love is because you loved us first. So we thank you for your gifts. We thank you for your incredible patience with us. We thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for a chance to worship together. And we thank you for a chance to celebrate our communion with you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.